Alrighty, everybody. Welcome back. Today, Monday, September 21st. And another day, another podcast, another Monday, another Monday Madness specifically. It's been a beautiful day today. This past couple of days has been really nice. I hope you all enjoyed your weekend because I know I enjoyed mine. I mean, just yesterday, met up with a buddy and we got out to do a little bit of bike riding that we've been wanting to do for a while. So we hopped on the Golden Bike Trail, went into Denver, came back, and after 38 miles, my legs couldn't hold up. And I am a little ashamed to say those last two miles, man, they had uh, they'd been overused at that point. And I don't remember moving that slowly on a bicycle, but I moved nonetheless. And I got to say, it was a great time, but enough of that. Perhaps that's just a roundabout way of me saying that I'm sorry for waking up late from oversleeping from the long bike ride to get you this podcast, perhaps a little bit later than you'd typically listen to it. But nonetheless, we'll jump right into the news. So first, starting with the oil price, opened up this morning a little bit low, $38.93, higher than that 37 we saw last week, but still not great. Prices are falling in tandem with markets, which typically would make sense, but even so, there's not as strong as correlations as you might think there might be between commodity pricing and oil and gas prices. For more information on that, which really interesting topic, make sure to listen to last week's periodical episode titled Don't Go Chasing Wall Street so you can learn a whole lot more about it. Next, rig count up one in the United States for a total of 255 rigs. This is a net one increase on the month and honestly a little bit surprising. Even so, we are still down 613 rigs on the year. And lastly, inventory. The last reported drawdown was a massive 9.5 million, if you weren't aware. That is huge, and it really should have influenced prices for the better. But again, check out that periodical podcast. But moving forward, prices only got worse long when the markets performed poorly themselves. So the next report will be out tomorrow afternoon. So keep your eyes peeled to see if you can learn anything about the trends, because been a lot of drawdowns lately, although you wouldn't necessarily know that looking at the prices. So that's about all for the basic statistics, so I'd like to get into the stories. Let's talk shipping. I like Amazon. I like ordering things shipped from other countries. I just got a pair of boots in today that were really cheap. I imagine you like to order some things online too. Maybe not online, maybe you just go to the grocery store and buy things that were delivered from other countries. And oil and gas has been a backbone of international trade and travel, but as you all know, a whole lot less of that has been occurring lately, and consequently, the demand of associated fuels has been decreased. For example, one of those fuels that there's just not that much demand for anymore, we've got jet fuel. So jet fuel can be considered pretty heavy. Your gasoline is uh, hydrocarbons that are in chains of 7 to 11 carbons. Uh, and jet fuel, I think, typically ranges from 12 to 15. So both are C7 plus and heavy in their own right. But they have very specific uses and just a few more carbons can really change the properties of those fuels. Because jet fuel is now in decreased demand, prices have only climbed to $41 a barrel after being worth around $70 a barrel before prices collapsed. I mean, at one point, I think it got as low to $20 a barrel of jet fuel. That's post-processing. I mean, talk about cheap. So, how do we overcome this problem as refineries continue to produce these distillates? Well, hey, let's put it in boats. So, boats have actually been mixing in a lot of jet fuel. The very low sulfur level oil, or VLSFO, is being mixed into ship oil along with diesel. Just a year ago, this would be absolutely unthinkable, but the cheap, cheap cost of jet fuel is tempting to many who are shipping things internationally. I mean, this, this fuel is worth so, so little anymore, 
that they might as well buy it and substitute it for the expensive fuel that there is demand for. It is only when an economy is in tatters that the most expensive of fuel components can be mixed into ship fuel. But it is not all too good to be true. Using too much can cause the fuel to not ignite as the ship engines were not really designed to work with, well, jet fuel at such a low vapor pressure. Because those hydrocarbon chains are a little bit longer, they're going to be a little bit less volatile than those lighter ones. And sometimes, uh, when injected into an engine, will not light. So you really gotta walk a fine line between being cheap and greedy and being fuel efficient. But that is enough of a short organic chemistry slash commodities lesson for the day. Let's move on to some other stories. Next up, the feds. They are upset with bankrupt companies avoiding decommissioning costs. As it stands, the bonding system requirements are relaxed once a company reaches the realm of bankruptcy. And this is partially due to the fact that the federal regulations date back to the 1990s and really allowed the regional regulators to interpret and uphold them as they see fit without any public opinion interjected. What we've seen historically is a company doing its best to avoid being held accountable for abandonment prices and costs, especially in the sense of a company going bankrupt. Now, this is not out of a malicious sense or anything like that. Really, it's just companies trying to minimize costs. And like I said, if you're going bankrupt, you don't want to spend too much more if you can help it. You want to get back on your feet and get out of bankruptcy as quickly as possible so you can get back to being publicly traded and not managed by your investors. And after all, wouldn't you want to avoid spending as much money as possible if you were caught in this situation? But that's besides the point. Between the 50-some bankruptcies seen this year in shale and some Gulf Coast producers, a lot of these wells are going unaccounted for. For the last decade, around 200 platforms have been removed in the Gulf Coast every year. In the next 10 years, companies are expected to spend around $15 billion in decommissioning wells in that Gulf Coast area. While this is environmentally responsible, a positive outcome, it will also up the bond requirements forcing companies to allocate more money per well, which is a bad outcome. This is a tight line to balance on, especially now where people are really pinching pennies at this point to stay in operation. So forcing companies to front more money just in case something goes bad or for when they do need to decommission the well, an ethical and responsible choice, but it's going to keep a lot of people from being able to enter the market and have the capital that is necessary to produce. Either way, Hopefully we see more good than bad come from whatever the Department of the Interior plans to implement. The Gulf of Mexico is not only plagued by age-old regulation, but it is also once more struggling with hurricanes. After shutting down a large portion of production for Hurricane Laura, the Gulf began to open up again last week, only to be shut in again a few days later in response to Tropical Storm Sally. While this is certainly frustrating for companies looking to produce, it doesn't really stop there. After storms pass through, all the parts of the facility must be inspected to ensure that it is safe to operate on the platform. While this is great to ensure the safety of employees, it does result in anywhere from 20 to 25% of the production from the Gulf being taken straight off the market. Storm season hasn't passed yet, so we are certain to see a little bit more of this in the future. I know I have talked about that recently, so we'll not allocate any more time to that this episode, but be sure to give us a follow so in case we do double back to that or have any updates, you are in the know. You can follow us on LinkedIn, you can follow this podcast on whatever your platform you're listening on in addition to Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, and very recently we just got onto the Amazon Podcast hosting space, so that's new. 
And if you know anyone who listens exclusively on that, tell them you've got this great new oil and gas podcast that you've been learning so much from and get them on their toes. But moving forward, what is worse than having your facility shut down thanks to hurricanes? Well, having facilities shut down by insurgents and hired mercenaries. The state energy firm of Libya announced that exports were scheduled to continue soon, asterisk. Asterisk being that they will export from fields and ports that are not under the influence of foreign mercenaries or other fighters. Oil facilities have been at the forefront of Libya's civil war groups, as these people and insurgents and opposition to the current government would target oil facilities and capture them in order to push political demands and agendas. Consider how daily production slumped to 100,000 barrels from the typical 1.1 million barrels after the Russian-backed commander Haftar of East Libya blockaded energy infrastructure. I mean, it's, it's a big deal. This isn't little rinky-dink militia gathering together. This is a big group, large militia, with mercenary support from other countries that are taking almost a million barrels offline a day, well, up to a million barrels offline. This reopening of ports is a significant win for the current Libyan government, but their largest deposit, the Sahara, is still occupied by Russian-backed armed forces, and it is unclear if they have agreed to leave. Operating with armed forces in the area is really not safe for any party involved, so that's going to be a difficult one to negotiate. In addition to Russia, Egypt and the UAE also back Haftar and his efforts against the current Libyan administration, and Haftar actually mentioned that he will retreat his forces if, and only if, the revenue from the western part of the country, you know, the part that the United Nations recognizes as a government in the capital of Libya, were to more evenly distribute their revenue generated from oil and gas with the West, the part of the country that Haftar influences. A muddled situation for sure, but it really makes me feel thankful for the lack of fights we have going on here in the West in the United States. I mean, a lot of political fights, but fewer gun, bang, bang, take over your oil facility fights. But that is all we have for the week. Thank you again for joining us. I've mentioned how you can follow us. I've mentioned some other content for you to use, so go out there and learn. Take advantage of this downturn and separate yourself from the pack by consuming this media. Keep your edges honed and... I'll see you next time. Take care, everybody.